0: You are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hey everyone, this is Tony Down. welcome to another episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And as with every episode, we start with this one stating that the intended audience is everybody. And today we'll be speaking with our special guest, Dr. Kelly Karlstrom, on what her role is in the pharmacy technology and informatics world. So thank you so much for taking some time to be on the podcast, Kelly. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Tony. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. I guess for our listeners, for them to get to know you a little bit better, can you start off by just telling them a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, yeah. I would describe myself as a multi-passionate pharmacist. <laughs> and I really am working on inspiring and empowering other pharmacists to think differently, to really actively look for opportunities in our profession, to develop non-traditional roles. You know, our profession has had, a, has had some bad PR as of late. And I really think there's a lot of great opportunity with pharmacy. And I want to see more of us take risks to advance our profession. But my main specialty area is oncology. I got there through the traditional residency route. I did two years of postgraduate training, I took a clinical specialist position, uh, but my current role is as a clinical informatics liaison, and I'm working on a Cerner Power Chart oncology implementation.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That's that's really cool. So I actually have some experience with Cerner Oncology too. So that's kind of like half, my, um, half of the job duties that I do right now are in Cerner Oncology. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm... I really respect anybody who's in that role, like doing the the entire time because it is very, very difficult. Um, So I I wanted to uh, kind of uh, know a little bit more about how you got specifically into that role because you said you did uh, two years of residency and then now you're Mm -hmm. doing different projects for, um, you know, Cerner Oncology. Like, how did that start?
1: Yes. And my residency was in oncology, it was not in informatics, (laughs) So I kind of took a bit of a convoluted route to get to my current role really opportunity kind of hollered and I answered. You know, I when I was in clinical practice in bone marrow transplant, I was involved in implementing Beacon. We moved from our paper orders into Epic and I really got to experience firsthand why pharmacist clinician is vital in that you know we're the ones with the keen eye for detail we look at every order sentence every order detail every description for accuracy but the part that I really liked was having a role in the design of the final product because people were making this for me I was going to be one of the clinicians using it and you know as the saying goes if you're not at the table you're on the menu so I really liked being involved in the the actual creation of the design. And that was a two-year process. And even after that, I didn't think I would end up working in informatics. But I had a little more than two years ago, I had a recruiter reach out to me through LinkedIn about this role that I'm in today. And I honestly thought I would hear them out and that would be the end of it. But what I realized after learning more about the role and thinking about my career path was that I was really at the top rung of my particular career ladder. I was only five years out of residency, so it was a bit surprising to me. So that's what kind of intrigued me about this role. But I really considered it pretty risky. Like I had invested all this time in traditional residency. I had taken the typical clinical specialist position, and I was considering leaving patient care. And anybody who's worked with me in practice knows that patient counseling is my all-time favorite thing. So it just seemed ridiculous at the time that I was even considering it. But, you know, I really thought more about it and asked myself, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, the best thing was that you get this great opportunity, you learn these new skills, the worst thing is, okay, maybe you don't like it, maybe they don't like the work you do, and you look for another job. So in the end, I decided the risk was worth it, and I took that leap, and two plus years later, here I am.
0: Wow, that's really cool. That's really awesome. And you know, like, it kind of reminds me of one of my friends, he's, he's like a research pharmacist now, and he did a two-year residency, he did oncology as his PGY2, and in Mm -hmm. his current like research role, he actually does some of the the build for the order sets, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it, it just seems like, you know, being your clinical expert in like that kind of a specialty kind of just leads you to that path of being able to build things for other people to use.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you can learn those technical skills as you go, but the clinical skills are what a lot of the technical teams don't have, particularly with oncology. It's such a niche area.
0: Yeah, definitely. So what are your current uh, day-to-day duties now uh, in your current role?
1: Right now, we are implementing, of all things, bone marrow transplant. <laughs> so when they when they first reached out to me about this role, they said, hey, BMT is on our list. I'm like, okay, great. I love BMT. Um, so we're finally now doing that. And my role is really as a liaison between the technical team doing that build work and the clinical team who's using the end product. So I use those the clinical skills that I've got, particularly as it comes to BMT. But I'm there trying to drive the technical team's design towards that effective solution for the treatment plan. So in bone marrow transplant, that would be the conditioning regimen that we're building. I do a lot of team education, like I did an in-service for our team when we started to kind of give them baseline information, baseline knowledge of the words that they're going to hear, like what does day zero mean, what does conditioning mean. Um, I also do a lot of brainstorming and iterating on the design, which is definitely my favorite part. Um, I mentioned I did like that when I was doing it on the clinician end, but I I really like kind of trying to consider what all the possible scenarios are and really drill down like what's going to work, who's going to order this. When are they going to interact with it? Who's going to activate it? What's going to happen afterwards? I really like that part. And uh, I make all the the templates. So kind of like the spec sheet. I take the clinical aspects of the treatment plan. So the chemotherapy, the pre-medications, everything like that. And put it into a spec sheet so the builders can take that and run.
0: Awesome. And you know, like your your mention about like thinking about all the different possibilities. I'm really curious about how do you determine the best course of action because there's a lot of I guess compromise that needs to be done because you know from my experience there's like any kind of technical change it affects the workflow and then the workflow needs to be a certain way which can't be done mm-hmm. you know on the technical side and like how do you how do you get to that end point of like getting to a certain level of everyone's not like, not technically everybody's happy, but everyone's like, you know, okay with it, right? Because you can't get everybody yeah. to be happy.
1: Right. That is such a good question. Yeah. it It's a challenge, especially in bone marrow transplant, which is such a, a difficult kind of unique niche of oncology. And it's, these patients are super complicated. They're in the hospital for six plus weeks usually. So yeah, we've, we've had a lot of, we've had a couple months of brainstorming. And I think my biggest piece of advice that I've got is to keep asking questions cuz I'll we'll have discussions and say oh we can't do that and I'll say really, we can't do that <laughs> or we shouldn't do that because <laughs> I want to know the limitations of the system because I'm not a Cerner expert. So I'm working with Cerner now or with Cerner PowerChart and I, in my clinical practice, I was with Epic. So when I took this job, I actually knew nothing about Cerner. Um, and I did have to reiterate that during my interview to make sure like you all know, I don't know Cerner, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I quickly learned in my two plus years working with it. But yeah, you there's a lot of technic technical things these EHRs can do, but we need to ask the questions about what can it what can it do? What are the limitations and how does that fit with the department and the workflow that we're working on? Because, you know, we're dealing with our power plans right now and how they're going to be ordered and, you know, who's going to interact with them before the doctor signs them. And that has to do with what the status of that power plan is and all the little pieces that you have to fit into their workflow. And, you know, we don't want to design a technical solution around a bad workflow. So if there's workflow changes that need to happen, then that's a great time to do them. But some departments have good workflows and we just need to come up with the solutions that are going to fit that. So it's really just an iterative process, which is why I like it so much because I like asking a lot of questions. (laughs) I guess that's part of my uh my preceptor days is to keep asking my residents and students why, why.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's that's a really good strategy. So I was curious about like, you know, when you're determining these different workflows, how much how much customization do you end up doing? Like I know that there's a degree of customization that can be done. And then there's like that point where it's too much of the work effort that it's not I I, I wouldn't say like it's not worth it, but it's more of like it would take too many resources to, Mm -hmm. you know, get it to where what they exactly want. So Mm -hmm. um, how much customization do you actually get to do? Like, is there like a kind of like a hard stop for that where you can't cross a line? Or like, how do you determine that?
1: So I think there's not a hard stop. So I'm in because I'm not an employee of the hospital where I work. I'm a consultant, a contractor. So I I mean, other people tell me when we hit uh, that hard line of what we can and cannot do. But I always ask the question from the clinical side of what, where's the value in it? So, okay, if we need to customize and we need to pull in resources to build something specific, what, what is the benefit that the end users are getting? So, you know, one example from a previous part of our project was patients who get high-dose leucovorin, or sorry, high-dose methotrexate and get uh, leucovorin rescue when their methotrexate levels are too high. And that's always a challenging workflow. It was at my previous clinical job too. And just trying to figure out, okay, how can we help them build this into the system to make it, one, safer for patients, more efficient for the clinical end users that are interacting with these orders? And, you know, what are our options? And we did We did some extra build around that because there were patient safety pieces that made it more valuable. But it's, it is definitely an ongoing question that we ask probably weekly of is this type of thing we're talking about worth it? And if it is, then, you know, we can describe it in a, in a uh, well thought out process, like creating an S-bar we've had to do for one part, uh, one thing that we're working on, and and really just try to explain what we want to get out of it, where the value is, and why the resources should be needed.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, sometimes people are curious too. like, why, why would a pharmacist be doing this? And why would a pharmacist be working on the build for these order sets? They are a pharmacist, right? They're supposed to be doing clinical care and things like that. What would you say to that if someone was to ask you that?
1: I would say there are a lot of clinical questions that come up from the technical teams. And before I got there, they were asking these questions of the clinical end user, which is completely appropriate. These are the people that are going to be using it. But those people have to take care of patients eight hours a day, (laughs) so they don't have a lot of time to spend answering the questions from the technical team about, you know, why is this drug supposed to be in this particular fluid or what about this infuse rate? We can build it these two ways. Why is one better? Now, those are questions that are important and they slow down the build process if they're not answered efficiently. And that's where I bring a lot of value to the team is I'm quickly accessible. I'm an IM away, a text away, an email away um, with small questions like that. But also we've got regular meetings on the books where we talk about these things. So the builders don't have to wait that long to get answers to their questions. And it makes the whole build team more efficient.
0: Oh, that's really cool. That's, that's really good that you're really accessible like that. And you have that clinical knowledge, because I think that's part of our challenge, too, is that, you know, I wasn't trained in oncology. I'm, I was more of like, my role has been always in informatics. So it's always like a challenge. We do have a subject matter expert on the, on the oncology side. But, you know, it's, it's sometimes difficult with the budget to not have that person cannot be in that role, like so many more hours a week than they they're budgeted for. So, so yeah, it's really great that you bring that value because you have that clinical training in oncology as well. So, so I was wondering if you had any advice for individuals out there who are, you know, maybe they're currently students right now and they want to get into informatics or particularly oncology informatics, or uh, maybe someone out there is a pharmacist right now that is an oncology pharmacist and they're kind of like you and they want to get into that role. Uh, Do you have any advice for them on how they can navigate their way towards that?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is the networking piece. I'm a big proponent of networking, really for all... Parts of our profession. I think we don't do a great job. Um, There's still many pharmacists that are not on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's my professional network of choice. I have uh, one of my previous residents from years ago. Her LinkedIn page says she's still a PGY one five years later. (laughs) Um, So we need we need to be better at networking. We need to interact with recruiters. You know, recruiters reach out to pharmacists all the time, and they get ignored a lot. My policy has been never to ignore a recruiter. I may not be looking, but I'll say, hey, thanks for reaching out. Keep me on your list for the future because I'm not actively looking. That's how I got, I got my job that I'm in today. I answered a recruiter's LinkedIn message. Um, I think being open to all kinds of opportunities You know, you never know where your career path is going to go. I didn't think I would end up here. Um, So just think about the types of skills you'll learn, the types of people you'll meet at different jobs that you might take, because, again, these aren't lifetime careers. You're not necessarily going to stay in this job for your entire professional career. So just be open to what you can learn. Find other colleagues to collaborate with. And, you know, one thing that I'm really trying to push more and get more information out there is about taking career risk. Because pharmacists are very risk averse. I am I'm I'm risk averse in general. I definitely was very risk averse before I took this job. But after I took the the leap, I realized it was actually riskier to stay where I was. And we don't we don't take career risks very often. And I think it's because of of our kind of professional history and how we we have these typical roles that we've been in. But taking risk has really paid off for me and I think it can for others too.
0: Awesome. That's really, really good advice. And uh, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I'm very familiar with like you being really active in the pharmacy community and, you know, just in general. So uh, are there any projects that you're working on right now that you want to share?
1: Yeah, um, I am. You know, I really thrive on being a people connector. I love getting people together who have similar interests, similar goals, like in networking groups. I think that's really valuable, whether that's on the phone, video calls, in person, LinkedIn messages are great. LinkedIn comments are great, but I really find a lot of value in getting people talking. And the reason I think it's valuable is because we get to ask other people for advice like we're like we're chatting about now, you know, get insight into other people's career paths, learn what they've done from their experiences and really can help our own professional development, but also advance our profession. So I'm working on that in two different ways right now. One is I want to get more pharmacists interested in oncology and help them position themselves for these roles through baseline oncology knowledge, toolkits, networking piece, coaching. And I've recently started a newsletter to introduce oncology opportunities and how to network to find these positions. That's my first way that I'm doing this. And then secondly, I also want to spread the word about these non-traditional oncology roles like what I'm in and how to really up-level your, the practice of the experienced oncology clinician. And, you know, our skills are valuable, and we often don't know that. And I didn't know that before I took this position. I really want to help share my experiences in
0: that transition. Awesome. So so is there a way that people can reach you if they had any questions or, you know, if they wanted to uh, check out the newsletter?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and um, I'll uh, send you my email that you can put in the show notes, Tony, but it's kelly, E Y at kellycfarmd.com. And I'll also send you the subscribe link to the newsletter so your listeners can uh, sign up for that.
0: Great. Thank you for that. And uh, so, yeah, I'll be putting that in our show notes so anyone can, you know, check it out if they're interested. but. But, you know, to be respectful of your time, I'd like to thank you again for taking some time out of your busy day to be on the show.
1: Thanks so much, Tony. I really appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Have a great day. All right. If you guys like this episode, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also follow us on social media on Twitter or Facebook at Pharmacy ITME or Instagram at Pharmacy Informatics or by emailing me at Tony at pharmacyitme.com. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Pharmacy Me. And remember, technology is a tool, patient care is a goal.